0: Hello, Welcome to the Blue Line Reconstruction. It's a new season. It's basically a new podcast. My name's Josh, and uh, I'm joined here in studio with my friend Luke Lundy. Luke, how are you doing? Oh, I'm awesome.
1: I think uh, it is pretty much the first time we're actually in studio. We make that, that comment quite a bit here in studio, but we're actually in person this time. I think second time we were... At the arena, right?
0: Yeah, we, we did record an episode in the arena itself. It is very disturbing to look at you uh, face-to-face. It's very uncomfortable. Same to you, friend. Yeah. Same to you. But uh, yeah, it's a new season, and we decided we were going to bring the podcast back, uh, mainly because I actually live in Columbus now, so it makes things a lot easier. And uh, Luke is happens to be this year a season ticket owner. So Yeah, a lot of games we're certified blue jackets fans now
1: yeah we're gonna be at honestly the vast majority of the games especially when you factor in like student rush and all that fun stuff uh, which is an awesome deal if you're not that we would ever do that not that we'd ever do that with student ids that are not valid anymore
0: i I mean i'm sort of a student so i'm a student of life yeah i was gonna say i'm a student at heart still (laughs) yeah close enough well uh here we are we took a long long break But we're excited to come right back at you. I just want to remind you, follow us on Twitter, at BLRPod. And uh, that's really the best way to contact us and to hear our snarky comments. So as of now, the Blue Jackets are one and one. And so we have a little bit of a mixed bag. So our idea for today is we're going to do a snake draft style. Pick uh, two players or two things that have disappointed you so far, and then two things that have surprised you or you're happy about or something like that you can kind of take this however you want to do it and uh this should be a pretty good way to cover some of the things that have happened in the first two games so luke feel free to are you are you okay going first oh i'm ready to go okay you want to do
1: bad or good first uh let's do let's do good because i think you can do good news kind of lessen the, lessen the blow a little bit from the bad news <laughs> um Good. I think that pretty much anybody listening to this podcast who's watched any of the preseason or the games recently has seen Brandon Dubinsky, you know, play with this kind of speed and honestly ability that I don't remember seeing maybe three years ago, four years ago. That's I mean, you might have a better
0: I'm not sure. Sh- I mean, it. it's obviously there's some bias here I, and, and there's a narrative around it. And so when people start saying, oh, you know, this guy looks good. You kind of want to buy into that a little bit. I think. I think we can all agree that that's something. But, and it's hard to remember. I should say as well, like several years ago. But this might be the fastest he may have ever looked as a Columbus Blue Jacket. Like truly, because I think he got traded here when he was like twenty eight. Yeah, he was was, older, slightly post prime, uh, but he apparently has lost nearly twenty pounds. And I'm uh, doing like crazy CrossFit like things. I don't know. Yeah. No one actually said CrossFit. I made that up.
1: He just he just looks lean in even like the interviews. Like you can visibly see how different he looks. And in terms of, I mean, his his play style. I mean, I caught myself during the uh, opener against the Red Wings saying, you know, out loud, "Good put out the Dubinsky line to close out regulation as we go into OT," which I I would never say last season with the kind of disastrous defensive play we were seeing from him at times and it's kind of refreshing um i think that there's you know a lot to it in terms of the way it'll add to the center depth and the the defensive especially like the the penalty kill because he's gonna put a lot of minutes in on the penalty kill um that was definitely for me the thing that stood out the most even from the first time i saw him in the preseason was wow like this isn't just i hope this isn't just perceived bias i think that he actually looks faster and if anything i think i'd i'd be more inclined to be pessimistic about the way he looks but he's just has kind of shown and not even just from the goal but just every shift he's been impactful with that with that line which I'd like to talk about a bit more but sticking just a doobie he's
0: been, he's looked absolutely great yeah and to throw some numbers behind that through two games uh, in five on five play Brandon Dubinsky has the second highest Corsi four percentage at 62 percent only behind Ryan Murray and not to take the cat out of the bag, Ryan Murray has also looked pretty good, which is really encouraging given that he got kicked in the nuts just a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was actually gonna be my next thing. So it's okay. great great transition because <laughs> yeah.
1: Ryan Murray has looked great and in the sense that, you know, he
0: came back Wait, can I interrupt you real quick? Sure. It was supposed to be a snake draft, but uh oh, you No, know, I see how it is. I so, see how you it. Okay, so with, you with you the do... second selection in the good draft, I select Ryan Murray. Now Perfect. okay, now continue. Perfect.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I I honestly was kind of expecting um, when he was announced as being injured. Oh, I mean, at first, I saw the play, and you, you kind of just think it's, all right, whatever. Like, he got kicked to the nuts. Like, that's awful. Uh, and, and, you know, he'll be back next game. No big deal. But uh, it, it sounded like it was some kind of soft tissue area of his groin or something like that. Well, oh, I can and tell you it's a pretty
0: soft <laughs> tissue.
1: I can imagine it's not... Easy to skate with that kind of injury. I've never had that kind of injury, but it, it sounds painful, and it sounds like they were just trying to do the right thing and give him time and not rush him back.
0: Well, yeah, preseason doesn't matter. Yeah, right?
1: exactly, exactly. But the fact that he—I mean, I expected him to be out several weeks from the start of the year, as it was kind of, you know, taking longer and longer for anybody to say anything about him. I was like, okay, and then, and then you have this weird source report from portsline like oh it's a back
0: issue or something like that like whatever so yeah let's actually talk about that for just to give you know humor me for a second does portsline this is not a snarky comment i actually don't know the answer to this do you think that portsline truly makes things up there's i think there's three possibilities here he's been wrong so many times about important things that either he makes things up, and I'm thinking specifically about the Brandon Dubinsky-Las Vegas incident, debacle, truly. Like I, I, that, if, we were, if we were New York, like the New York Rangers, that would have been everything the media talked about for two weeks, the fact that this beat reporter claimed that there was some kind of personal issue. I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just right now. But that's one example. And then the back thing is just the most recent example. So he either won makes things up two just has really uninformed sources just people who technically are in the organization but just would never know what they're talking about like i don't know maybe like you know like a marketing Marketing person yeah that's exactly what i was thinking of and then or three and i know this sounds crazy but i don't think it's a zero percent chance i think it's non-zero that they intentionally tell him the wrong things as an organization because i I, I get the sense that they, so I, I, I need to go on this tangent. This is a tangent to a tangent. When information leaks, so when a trade happens, the organizations are contacting those reporters to quote unquote leak that information. They're not you know uncovering documents, right? This is an intentional thing. They, they, they're like, okay, this is happening, and so we wanna release it, and so listeners, I want you to know whenever there's a rumor, whenever anything hits the media, someone told someone something intentionally, whether it's a trial balloon or otherwise, it's intentional, right? right? So I get the impression, based on the fact that Portsline gets scooped on every single big moment, that they don't like him for some reason. Now, it's not just that they don't like him, right? They want to intentionally give it to the national guys because they want it to you know, be distributed across quicker, but still, so here are the three possibilities, and I want you to tell me: Do you think he's lying? Do you think he's being intentionally lied to, or do you think he just has bad sources? I—I I mean, I would be inclined to think it's
1: uh, intent. Like, well, I think it's bad sources. I honestly think it's sources within. Um, yeah, marketing was an example I was gonna like mention. Just these kinds of individuals that work for the team, I have no doubt that they were the team. Water cooler rumors, but I don't think that they're trainers. Right. I don't think that they're people that actually are like dealing with the rehab of the player. Otherwise, we would have had a better understanding of you know Warinski's injury throughout the season. We knew he was struggling with something, but he was going in for PT like every day and wearing this massive brace every day. Like we didn't have any kind of understanding of that, and the team's always been tight on injuries, so I think it's just a bad source.
0: But. Yeah, and and that's tough. That's, that's the big difference between a small market team and a big market team is that if you're a small market team, as a beat reporter, you, you're expected to keep certain information that the team doesn't want to come out to keep that to yourself. So all season, Allison Lucan, Tom Reed... And Aaron Portsline all knew that Orensky was injured like that, and they didn't report on it because the team more or less nudge, nudge, wink, wink, please don't talk about this. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, but that's kind of the nature of truth in in sports. And uh, the same exact thing happened with LeBron James when he punched his hand into a locker room after game one in the 2018 finals, right? We didn't find out about that until the whole series was over. And once we knew that, oh, it all makes sense. The first game, game one, was one of the best offensive performances of all time. And then he was just kind of okay after that. Which, you know, again, amazing that you can be that good with a broken hand. But I digress. So anyways, I wanted to talk about that with Portsline. Because I think he, I think it's a mix of both. I think he's being lied to sometimes. I think he lies sometimes. I'll go on and say it. I think he makes things up. Or he exaggerates the truth to the point that I would call it a lie, right? This goes back to definition of terms: what's a lie, what's not? And then I think, but it's mostly yeah, misinformation. But okay, hot takes, man. Hot yeah, takes from hockey media. Yeah, All so stemmed I, from Ryan Murray. Is that one of my bad things? Do I have to use that? Oh, I mean, if
1: you want to, I I no, think that's, that's a aside. hey, that's a legit take. I mean, we've got a very strange kind of small market media dynamic. I like, I mean, I like Tom Reed a lot. I think his his writing's been solid. But. I, I do like Tom Reed. I
0: like. I think we what we've yeah. discussed. We don't have this. to go into each writer. No, no I writer, do. I want yeah. to discuss this real quick. I love how Tom Reed always describes a physical body part. Oh yeah, it's, it's quivering or it's rippling. A little bit sexualized, just <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But anyway, Bensky, the sweats dripping down his quads. Moving you know?
1: forward, Ryan Murray's been been good. Uh, you brought it up as yours um snake draft style do you, wanna, do do you a, want to do talk a bad one? one? do a bad one do you want me to do a bad one yeah oh, okay no, no, Sna- snake snake So, draft so it's your turn bat, yeah so
0: i do a bad one right um this is definitely one we both want to talk about i'm gonna take who do i want to blame i'm gonna blame the the negative thing that i'm picking here with the third overall selection is the coaching staff's ability on the power play <laughs> and the way that i look at this is this drop back method. I would actually say it goes it, it we did a similar thing with Todd Richards and obviously it's a different coaching staff, but it's been going on for years where basically Rurinsky or whoever's that D man will skate it to around our own blue line, drop it back to a forward, and then there are four motionless players stacking their opposing blue line. And it seems to never work because they I mean, correct me, uh, give me the details here, but like basically they're stacking their entire penalty kill at the blue line to break that up. Yeah, every
1: team is running three men across the blue with one man forechecking over the red line, and it's pretty apparent. I mean, any team that's watched a single Blue Jackets power play knows what's going to happen, and what they're trying to do is is you know create gaps and slow everybody everybody down and kind of make the defenders slow-footed, I guess you could say. They kind of stand still when the drop-back happens. But teams are seeing it now, and they're just kind of adjusting. They're just playing a little bit deeper. And then they're contesting at the line and making every entry difficult. So that's why we see all these dump-ins on the entries, because you've got three defenders sticking a stick out at, at Cam Atkinson as he's flying through the neutral zone. You know, you can't always dish that over to the side. You've got to dump it in. Um, yeah. It, it, It makes sense. Like, the decision-making of the players makes sense for the system. Given the system. Yeah. So, like, the system, I'm not blaming the player's ability at all. I'm just saying that the system, the entries have to change. And that was something that was talked about, you know, earlier in the season was that, oh, we'd see, you know, this new... I I remember reading that there was some kind of changes to the entry methods, to the exit methods. I felt like I saw it at times in the preseason and then it seems now it's gone right back to exactly what it was before. And to your one point where you mentioned, oh, new coaching staff. Well, one of the coaches is still here, and he's uh, been in charge of the power play for quite a
0: while. So Yeah. So going back to what's actually happening in the system, and you mentioned it's supposed to slow foot the defensemen. Right. And I think what it ends up doing is it slow foots our, our players. Our yeah. players, and And as – Kind of just how the sport of hockey, I think, is meant to function, it seems so antithetical to what is good in hockey. like you kind of want motion, the more motion that's happening is is, is better for offenses and so even once you get that entry, even if it 's not a pure dump, what happens is is they break in and they're always they're almost never breaking into the middle they're going in through the right or left, and then that forward is completely alone there's no one to make a pass to unless it's a tiny drop to a uh, a guy in the corner right uh the top right corner so most of the times they throw the whole puck all the way around the net right like uh, up on the i'm blanking on the terms here you know like it just the puck flies all the way around to the other half wall but at that point that defender is just he knows that's coming and he just pressures there and he gets it he usually gets it out so when they've actually set up, I've actually thought it looks better. It looks; it's still not been good for right. the record, but I think that they're they're more willing to shoot, and I think it, it can be good. But the system is just it's it's not working. They need to change that entry. That first unit is really talented with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Panarin on the right, uh, the left and Atkinson on the right and Wierinski at the top. I really like that. I don't. both don't love lino on it but it's i think it's the system and that's why i specifically called out the coaches even given this bizarro coaching change that they did that they're not able to do anything i I just hope to see changes soon and i hope it's not personnel changes i hope they don't think oh man we need to you know change the players up i don't think it's the players problem yeah
1: and i i definitely think it's an entry i mean i think even looking at uh, data from the Special Teams Project, you can look up essentially um, the way the kind of drop passes, their success rates for entries, and you know the different definitions of them. The one that I wanted to kind of mention was that we tend to play a drop pass. A drop pass individual one is tend to be tends to be more successful. That's a player who gets a drop pass. Let's say Cam Atkinson gets the drop pass, flies through the neutral zone, crosses the blue line, and he possesses the puck. And then, you know, gets entry and, and drops it off. The one that we've been using so often has been a drop pass, which then leads to a wide pass. They were looking on the outside for like a guy like Felino along the boards. They dump it off to him. That's one of the, you know, lower success drop pass options. If you're going to do a drop pass entry in the first place, um, in terms of the dump in and the chip in, the dump ins and chip ins are actually some of the higher su- higher success um, entries and if you can do it the right way. And, you know, it's players... I mean, we've, we've talked about players that can dump in the puck well and whatever. Um, but if the players are, you know, consistently making bad dump-ins, it's obviously going to be a bad time of possession. They're not going to have a lot of ozone time. And so the drop pass itself, you know, it's, it's a thing that a lot of teams do. And so we're not just trying to single out the Blue Jackets. But the way that they're doing it doesn't really show any kind of success for the personnel, and if anything, it seems like it's constantly killing momentum the past year or so, in that the players do slow down, you're completely right, the players are slowed down, almost standing still on the blue line, waiting for that entry, and then it just seems like the whole rhythm of, you know, that fast, five-on-five, hard four-checking team that we're trying to become is now slowed down and just standing still, and then, you know, they, they initially... As soon as they clear the puck down, you know Wrenski is coming back, and the whole team just looks slow from that point on. Yeah, and, and, that, it, and it kills momentum. I think if you're not getting zone time in the in the on the power play, and they did have some some zone time. Yeah. the other night, I'm not trying to say that they didn't, but
0: I think they. I, another thing is in regards to once they're actually in the zone is some of the better looks that they had is when a man possesses the puck behind the net and basically tries to pass it into the slot or a Panarin in a uh, or an Atkinson kind of floating into the slot from their half wall spot and getting the and the analysis that we have the statistics that are publicly available all say that a pass from behind the net to in front is one of the highest quality shots if you can generate that and we but it just it when it happened it looked good but it, it clearly the the focus isn't to do that the focus right. is all driven from the point. And that's also true in the five-on-five offense, I think. So, Let yeah, I think I think we've kind of exhausted this topic. Yeah, but the power play. Power play, coach's scheme, don't love it. With the fourth, uh, no, fifth pick, I think. It's your time to pick. It's time to be good now, right? Say something good. Wait, let's think here. We just did power play, which is not good. So, so well, I did one good, one bad. You do a bad and then a good. So bad, you do a bad one now. Do another bad one.
1: I can I can give it okay. to you. If you no, want. I can I can do another bad one. That that sounds good. Um, so
0: I've been. Wait, let's figure this out. So what was? <laughs> so where were we? The good was Brandon Dubinsky. Yeah. And then my good was, uh, Ryan Murray. Ryan Murray, and then my bad was power, power play. Power so yeah, It's bad. And okay, good for you. okay.
1: Okay. Gotcha. We're really good at this. We're really well organized. <laughs> uh, so I think that my next bad. And it's not necessarily entirely on the player, but more so the player-coach dynamic. But I want to talk about Alexander Wenberg because I think that Wenberg is—I think he's in Torts' doghouse, and I'm not entirely sure why. I know that there's parts of Wenberg's play that you know we we have talked about in the past. He's not always going into corners hard. You know, not every player has to do that necessarily, but especially this year, Tortorella has been kind of. It already seems like he's almost done with him, it, it, just in terms of the way he's being played, and it's not that you know, unsurprising considering he doesn't have to play Wenberg as much. He's got Riley Nash. We'll talk about him later. Um, you know, Dubinsky's looking better so far, uh, but Wenberg is already in the doghouse, and that's somebody that a couple of years ago everybody was you know writing articles like, oh, is he a potential number one center for the Blue Jackets? Yeah,
0: is this his breakout yeah. season? Yeah, is this his
1: breakout season? I mean, he he produced at a high level before Artemi Panarin came. And when Panarin came, even... I mean, we were saying, you know, this is a guy that could put up
0: massive numbers, massive assists if he's playing with Panarin. And... Yeah, but just to jump in real quick. Two two things to add before you continue. One is that that Atkinson-Winberg-Panarin line was actually really good. And I think they broke it up too early. Now, don't get me wrong. I like that line with PLD centering it. But the Winberg-Atkinson... Panarin line was having success in those kind of tertiary numbers like Corsi, uh, but Panarin wasn't scoring early last season. Right, right. And so right. they broke up that line too early. So that's one thing I would just caveat where I think anyone can look good with Panarin. And I think Winberg's style was fine with Panarin. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I want to add. The other thing is when he looked good two seasons, it was two seasons ago, right? Right. So much of that was power play driven in the first half of the year when we were scoring at like a 40% rate on the power play. And so much of that was no one was game planning for Warinsky's shot, right? Right. From the point on the power play. So those are the two caveats I want to say, which kind of go both ways. One good, one bad, where it's like, I don't really. I think I have a good idea of what the real Winberg is now. I'm not sure there is a lot of upper mobility for him to get better. And particularly, you mentioned going into the corner. There was a play against Carolina yesterday where he just let up the gas because he didn't want to get the puck. And if this guy, if his best skill is is going to be passing, he needs to do everything he can to get the puck on his stick, and that means going into the corners hard. Because if he can't get the puck on his stick, he's a waste of space. Because he's not really willing to shoot. So, anyways, I'll let you continue. I don't know what else you have to. add. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, and he's he's a guy that you know in the past and even now I'd still argue that he's defensively sound in his own regard. And I don't, I think he's you know obviously he's a cerebral cerebral player who's trying to make plays. He's passing the puck. The whole narrative has been nonstop like oh he's gonna when is he gonna shoot more when's he gonna shoot more. I don't even think he necessarily has to shoot that much more. He just needs to be possessing the puck more, and he needs to be controlling the play a bit more. He needs
0: to do what he and, can do well, and that involves him doing some of the things he doesn't
1: do right now. And and let's be fair to Winberg. When he was drafted, I mean, he was projected by scouts as a second or third line center. He wasn't projected as a top-line center. Um, but just you know, lately, and to me, the pessimism is is not so much on judging Wenberg on two games. I don't really want to judge him on, on two games necessarily. But just already, it seems like Torts is kind of done with him. And the reason I say that, I mean, if you watch Torts get asked about Wenberg by reporters or whatever, he just doesn't even want to bring it up. He, he, and he says, you know, oh, I don't want to break down each player. He's breaking down other players just fine when I think it's somebody he, good. He hints yeah. at him all the time. Oh yeah, he like hints at, half at that. Of he's just. All his
0: comments seem to be about Winberg, like jaded uh, which, facades.
1: Which I don't really get because it doesn't seem like. I mean, obviously we don't have the fitness testing results, but he doesn't really seem like the kind of player that would
0: perform poorly in that. I think. Well, I think what it is is I think it's I think Tortorella knows exactly what we're talking about. Where we're not disappointed in Winberg necessarily because he's this awful negative on the ice. It's because we see what he could be. If right? he's yeah, if yeah. he did, if it all clicked, and it just doesn't seem like it's clicked for now. while well, we're going on a season and two games. Yeah, worth of data exactly, and
1: even like things
0: like uh, last year with the little
1: spat with Wenberg and Torts on the bench where they were screaming at each other. You know all that kind of stuff. Like I mean, it's there's only so much you can go into it. Hockey's an emotional sport, but uh, to me that's been a negative. I was hoping that. You know, are the essentially with Dubinsky playing better that you know if Wenberg was also clicking well, then all of a sudden you've got a fierce, fierce lineup at center oh, yeah. with Riley Nash now too. So um, that's just kind of the the mild disappointment there. But all right, pick I think your yeah. next one. Yeah, pick your your good. My good, um, I think that Anthony Duclair is going to find a, a home in Columbus. All, right, I, all I, right, that's my hot take. I think that Duclair has bought in. I think that he is motivated to try to turn his career around. I think that a lot happens when you're that young and you get traded, you know, initially. For, well, well, for those who weren't really familiar with Declare before he became a Jacket, I mean, he looked legit playing. He played for Team Canada. He was, you know, playing for the Rangers, I think, at 18 or 19. He was putting up numbers, then he got sent back to juniors. And, um, you know, you kind of wonder, okay, like, what happened there? Where did he fall off? Was it the New York City kind of... Um, scenario where all of a sudden you're in the lights and your play kind of drops off. Um, he gets traded from New York, which is, you know, out, not out, not in his control. Uh, they got a good player back. And he plays in Arizona. Um, and, you know, he kind of – he chose to come here because of Vinny Lecavier, LeCavier's brother, right? And Basically saying, you know, Tortorella is the kind of coach that will put you in – basically set you up for success later on in your career. And he bought into it. And I I watched him lay down to try to block shots the other night. I've seen him play with speed. I still think he tries to make the pretty play too often. But, mm-hmm. but we can talk about that more. But I think that Duclair is not necessarily the same as the Gagne signing, because Gagne was a prove-it signing, but Gagne was older. He was an older player who's been around the league for Recent, much longer. Recently cut, by the recently way. Recently waived. In the second was, year of his three-year contract. Yeah, he rights. was slow. He wasn't showing <laughs> a lot was, of speed. That
0: looks good for the for the front office. Yeah, Choosing exactly.
1: And, and I think Duclair is going to be one of those players that's going to put up, not like crazy numbers, but he's going to put up reasonable numbers for like a middle six forward. And I think it's going to result in him staying in Columbus. That's going to be my, my positive. I think he's going to find a home here.
0: Yeah, and we're projected before the re-sign- potential resignings of Brobroski in Panarin and uh, the extension of Wierenski as well. There are a few other restricted free agents next year. We actually have a lot. Um, but we're projected around $30 million in cap space. And uh, we always leave about five for bonuses. Um, because the bonus system and the NHL is weird, but you, you can't you can't hard cap yourself with bonuses either. It's 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 strange. So you have to kind of plan for that. So assuming we have about twenty five million and we don't re sign Panarin and Bobrovsky, sorry everyone, we're not going to open that can of worms hopefully today. Uh, but there should be money for him, is what I'm getting at. Uh, and yeah, I think he's looked good. He he certainly is very fast, right? He's oh very yeah, fast and and I think this is. I, one of, I think it's one of the front office's strengths is, is identifying these lower end players that uh, seem to be in market inefficiency. If you can have your bottom six, or sometimes he seems to be playing fourth line minutes even, as a skilled player who can put pressure on other teams' slower fourth lines, that's a market advantage, right, for, for us. I mean, through two games, his, his statistics haven't looked great. Yeah, yeah, his line actually got lit up defensively yesterday, but everyone kind of got lit up, and so I'm not going to take too much away from that. I would love if he would just go harder to the net and not try to do the fancy move as you mentioned. But hey, we we love Speedy Boys. We uh, love Speedy Boys. So I, I I think he looks good. I think for me, the jury's still out. I I, you know, not not to you know get too far ahead of ourselves here. I, I'm not. I don't think Riley Nash has looked great. So far, I think he's been kind of invisible, but uh, I think there's potential here. I, I, Roll Riley Nash has been a great penalty killer, so I I shouldn't. I think he's been fine. Yeah, we'll disagree there, but so, but yeah, but anyway, all that to say is, is I'm not going to let a two-game sample say whether or not he's going to be good or bad, but he certainly has the skills to be good. Yeah, and I think he bought in. Yeah, so I, I would take Duclair right now. If you said you have to pick one player for the rest of the season, Duclair or Bjorkstrand, I would. I would pick Duclair. And uh, so that's a hot take. But uh, anyways, uh, so that where does that leave us? That leaves us, uh, I have to pick a good, I believe. Because you yes. just picked a good. So let me think about a good. I'm between picking Kukan or just talking about the Anderson, Jenner, Dubinsky line. We already kind of hit on that. I'm going to pick that line. Uh, Who would have ever thought that those three guys together would be good? And, you know, it's two games in, and we can caveat all we want. They look not just good, they have looked like the best land on our team through two games, by far. And the Panarin line looked good yesterday. They had really good moments of extended ice time. But man, oh man, almost every single shift... That All three of them, you know, when Boone Jenner's not halfway up the ice still because he's so slow, but all three of them are crashing the net and creating these net front chances. They are so aggressive and so strong, and Andy Dubinsky looked pretty fast. I mean, Andy is just, he is so much faster than I think people give him credit. He is so fast, and he's so strong. And they don't have the most skill on that line, but man, oh man, they are creating high-quality chances shift after shift. And it, it, I'll be honest, like I'll eat a shoe. Like I would have never guessed, but man, am I thrilled! If this line can be good, then this team is scary good. Yeah. Because I don't think that you know the fourth line is going to be a zero forever, and uh, I don't think that. that the I know that the top line with Pierre Luc Dubois and PLD. I mean, I just said his name twice. Pierre Luc Dubois, Panarin and Atkinson. We know that's going to be good. So all that to say, man, oh man, that line. Yeah,
1: it's been absolutely stellar, and you can see that they all know how exactly how they want to play. They all want to cycle down low. They all want to play below the red line. Is in the goal line the red line. Um, just play kind of behind the net, constantly cycling, using their body, just boxing people out. You can tell as soon as they're on the ice that they're going to be getting into scrums, that they're they're kind of dragging the whole team into the fight, which I I mean, I, I kind of agree with and that you do still need that. Anybody who's played sports knows that when you're a little bit emotional and you get pulled into a game, you're, you're trying a bit more. You're trying to, you know, a, a regular season game instantly becomes like, I, I, you know, I really want to win this. And, and yeah, pro athletes are all hyper-competitive, but... But still, it helps to be dragged into that fight a bit with scrums and all kinds of stuff. And not even that, but it it kind of throws off defensemen. You, You know, you see, especially against Detroit, some of these, they had, I think, two or three defensemen with their first NHL games that, you know, were just getting knocked around by this line. And... It's going to be forceful, and I think that's really reassuring considering the season that Boone Jenner had last year, especially the season Dubinsky had last year. Um, eventually, they're going to figure out the kinks and the little things they need to change with guys like Nash and Wenberg and Foligno, you know, trying to make some mix and match some options on the wing there, guys like Bjorkstrand, figure out who plays well with who. I think Torts is going to keep making those adjustments. I think he's already admitted that. He needs to just keep plugging stuff here and there. And if that line is solid, then all of a sudden you've got some serious depth, and the Jackets can be a legit team. Uh,
0: so I think I think what we, let's do. I'll pick one more negative, and then you pick a positive, and I pick a positive. We'll end on that note. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Okay, my final negative is David Savard. So I this one this one's tough.
1: Screw Kraft Mac and Cheese. I'm going to say that first of all. Before we get into David Savard, (laughs) I hate Kraft Mac and Cheese now forever because those (laughs) boards at the Kraft Hockeyville game that that Jones got injured on where his knee got pinned in. The only reason we're talking about Savard is because he's playing on the first pairing. Yeah. And and Jones got injured because those stupid boards at the stupid ice rink in Clintonville, New York has... It was a cool broadcast, whatever. But, look, those boards were reinforced with concrete. They had less give than other boards. Uh, I'm going to go conspiracy theory. He got injured because of Kraft Mac and Cheese. Not really, (laughs) but but screw them. Go
0: on with David Savard. Yeah, well, okay. I want Seth back. So, um, (laughs) he he just looks lost. And it's been two seasons now since he – two seasons ago when he played with Jack Johnson. We thought he's the Jack Johnson whisperer. He, he was doing all things right. He was joining the rush. He was making good offensive decisions. He was making smart defensive decisions. I just It doesn't look like he's mentally engaged in the game. And what I mean by that is when he gets the puck, it's down low. He feels the pressure of, the, of, of a forward forechecking. He just tries to kick it wherever he can without looking or thinking. And it just causes a turnover and then a chance. For the opposing team he just looks lost out there and I don't know I just let me let me pull something up. and what I mean what we mean by
1: that when we talk about him looking lost just kind of if you kind of focus in on the way that he's exiting the zone compared to other players I mean just kind of compare him to, to... Um, a guy like Ryan Murray, for example. Ryan Murray is a great passer. He's always been a great passer. He had, you know, all these expectations. A great passer, but when Savard gets the puck down low, below the the goal line he's rushing as soon as possible to either whip it around the boards or whip it off the glass. He's not looking for passes. He's not looking for the controlled breakout that we see where essentially with our breakout system, the centers are supposed to come in, cut towards the middle, pick up those little breakout passes from the defenseman, you know, be puck moving defenseman, getting the puck out. He's just whipping it around the boards. And it's leading to these point opportunities. It's leading to sustained possession for the other team. It's just it's frustrating to watch for, for me. I mean, I, I just think it's super frustrating.
0: Yeah, and I don't think... I don't... <sighs> Zach Wierenski's hard to read. He's still growing as a player because he's really young. Zach Wierenski is not the most... I, I would like to hear what you have to say about this. I don't think, like... He's he's not a bad defensive defenseman by any means, but he's certainly... Like, Seth Jones is, like, top five, right? Right, in ter- right. In that end of the ice. He's like top three, just dominant physical force, always in the right place. And Wierenski's smart, and he usually makes the right play, but he's not perfect. And I don't think he can... I guess what I'm saying is I don't think he can cover up for those weaknesses, right? That's what I'm getting at. Where, right. where Zach Wierenski's really talented, but Seth Jones can make anyone competent, I don't think Zach Wierenski defensively is at the level yet where he can make anyone competent uh, in the defensive end. And so even when... Uh, they're having good shifts. I think it's in despite of Savard when he's with Wierenski. And so I, I don't love that pairing. But like you mentioned, when Jones comes back, I, I'll i say if you're not going to pick one of your positives, one of my positives of the final two is going to be Nudovara. Oh, that's what I was going okay, to take. Good. So I have to come up with another right. one. That's fine. But but <laughs> all that to say, you now have who a really good Ryan Murray. Like, looks really, really good and and Zach as long as he's not injured um he he took a bad hit in the shoulder yesterday but I haven't heard anything about it so and he looked better through, as the game Yeah as went the game on. went on he might have just been mentally
1: like yeah. freaking out or something Yeah he
0: just he took a couple shifts where he looked a little awkward but he looked fine by the end of the game so I don't want to cause any panic but uh you've got Seth Jones, Ryan Murray, uh Zach and um Nudevara and that is a really really good four defensemen and uh, you can spread the wealth however you want. But basically, if Savard... I don't think they're going to put him on the third pairing. They're just not going to do it. But if you kind of spread the wealth and you kind of equalize the minutes a little bit more with how good Dean Kukan has also seemed to look, very competent, I think, I think it will be okay. And I think that's yeah. kind of how you let it. It's he Savard doesn't look great, but when he's kind of pushed down the, the chart in the way that he should be, I think he'll be fine. So... That's that's what I want to say about that, and, and so I guess you were going to pick Nunevara. Yeah, so
1: I think Nunevara looked outstanding. I think he was the, one of the best players on the team yesterday, um, by yesterday, the, the home opener against Carolina. Um, he seems like he's just gotten so confident. He was another guy that was playing injured. At times, uh, before he had that hip injury, I believe, or something like that, or
0: uh, yeah, I think yeah, it was a yeah, hip was injury, hip, and then he yeah. then he slotted into the that was two years ago though in the playoffs, wasn't it? Uh, Jack Johnson sat. No, that was last year. I
1: thought he was playing through something at one point. I, I could be I I could be wrong. Anyways, I don't Anyways, Núñez he he was injured at one point. It it might have been two years ago. I might be getting confused, but he was somebody that, that came in healthy with more confidence last season. Um, you know, he he was playing, you know, a bit more confident. He was um, taking the puck up the ice more. He was moving through the neutral zone more. And now you can see it. I mean, I think that him playing for uh, Team Finland was even a greater element to his confidence. He had nine points in eight games. He was taking the puck up ice. He was making all kinds of plays. And I think now he realizes I can play in this league. I can be a good defenseman in this league. And we have him signed for two point seven million for four more years. For four more years, which is outstanding. Age twenty
0: four. Age twenty
1: four. You know, seventh round pick or whatever. Yeah. Just uh, after being
0: passed. on Yeah, once after being in passed
1: camp. on. Uh, it's just a great storyline, and you can see him getting more confident, moving around people with speed through the neutral zone. I still think he's one of the more calm guys we have compared to when he first came into the league. He's really calm with the way he exits the zone now. Yeah. He really seems It seems like the game has slowed down for him. Yeah. Um, I think there's still adjustments he can make in, in his own defensive zone just on, um, you know, we haven't really seen him on the penalty kill. We haven't seen him in a lot of other defensive situations um, with a lot of ice time, I guess you could say. He just puts a lot but, of
0: pressure on the opposing defenses, though. Like, he, yeah, he's he's fine in the defensive zone, but his, he really shines is, is when he's exiting the zone. He puts a lot of pressure on opposing defenses with he both he's he's willing to do both the stretch pass and the controlled exit. He does both. Right. And uh, he's he's really good at those things. And, um, yeah, I just – you you've already said everything I want to say, so I won't rehash that. But, I again, like, I think um, – I, I just was kind of laughing. Uh, there was some narrative, I won't say, which reporters were writing about, oh, is defensive depth a problem now that we lost Ian Cole and Jack Johnson? And I think, no, I think it continues to be a strength. Um, you have – Ryan Murray, who can pass the puck really well, and he's he's not going to do, he's not really a controlled exit guy or a controlled entry guy, but he's highly skilled, and he's mm-hmm. very smart, and he's looked very good through two games. Maybe some of the best two games, kind of, that I've seen him play in a long time. And then you've got Nudevara, who can, we just mentioned all that, you have Seth Jones and Zach Kierensky. So, I think the defensive depth is great.
1: Yeah. I think uh, something I,
0: I want to add this in before we go for my final positive, which I haven't come up with, so I'm <laughs> I'm vamping. Uh, we're gonna resend Ryan Murray if he doesn't have a bad injury this year. I just we're a crazy good year where his cost drives. I think they might still up. do it. I think they might just say let's triple down on our strength and yeah, say we're we gonna be a team you. with a top four defensemen who are just fantastic. Yeah, because here, like, I just feel like the. Uh, we're not the type of team who let our guys go like our guys and Ryan Murray has been with the team oh boy oh boy when was he drafted like 2010 right? 2012 and twelve. Twelve. right yeah, yeah number two overall uh Yakupov draft he's struggled he's had a ton of injuries but I think it, and he's still restricted so even at age 25 He's still restrictive, which is crazy, but I think I I just totally see the writing on the walls. He's going to take like three point five or something for four years, and uh, that's that's just my guess.
1: Yeah, and I think that would be an outstanding situation for the Jackets, you know, paying two younger puck moving mm-hmm. second pairing defensemen for extended amounts of time if they can you know get Murray for another three years four years. I'd be totally okay with that. You yeah. you you leave tons of space to lock up Rensky. You keep Rensky and Jones together with Nunavara and Murray together. That's a formidable top four lineup. Um, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: what anything we can do to keep Clandinin off the ice is, is my Defensive strategy. He's terrible. Yeah, um, and I
1: I've seen a lot of hate on Gabriel Carlson uh, lately, and I get it. Like he he's looked shaky, I knew and he got I knew burned by he up. got burned by. I mean, he got burned by in Detroit against. I think he was getting chased down by like Manther, one of the faster players on the Red Wings. I thought you said and it was Epanasu. Um, yeah. yeah, it might have been him. I'm I'm not sure, but I I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not giving up on Carlson yet. I think that he's. Got a bit more to go. I don't necessarily think he's going to be, um, I was thinking, you know, as the season was going in, okay, he could be a good third-pairing defenseman if we remember how he played against the Penguins in the playoffs. You know, he, he could be a formidable third-pairing defenseman with the way he moves the puck and the way he's put on muscle and all that stuff. Um, I'm not giving up on him. I think that he's still adjusting, um, but I still think he could be a, a bottom-four defenseman in the NHL because he's only 21 years old. Yeah, he's 21. He's 21. I mean, yeah, like but... I don't want to give up on him. I've seen all this doom and gloom like oh he's a bust already. Like no, he's he's so absurdly young.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's crazy. I, I think my thing with him is it's he he's kind of a relic of an age gone by in the sense that he he's not a puck-moving defenseman. He doesn't have those skills. I, I
1: would think he. I think he has a great first pass. I don't think he's not a, a puck. I. I, I think. Defined, I think in yeah. order
0: for him to be a, a top four defenseman in the NHL, he's got to get really, really good on defense. And so when you yeah, see him get true. burned, and again, I, I know that he's twenty one, but my point is like when we're talking about his future playability, I think in order to be a good defenseman, he he has to really grow in what's supposed to be his strength which is the defensive end right yeah I think he's more realistically going to be a bottom four guy yeah I mean like yeah which is still fine you need that but you would hope as a first round pick even a late first round pick that he would have some more upside so I I'm not the door's not closed on him I think I would you prefer to send him down to Cleveland
1: I feel like he might he might need more time to play, and he was another guy that was playing. He might have been who I was mixing up Núñez with because he was playing hurt for sure. He had that ba- like the the core issue yes. last season when he was in Cleveland, and he never played a back to back in Cleveland because of that. Yeah. Um. He had major injury injury issues, and he's healthy this year. Um. So so that's part of it. I think there's a lot there, but I'm not I'm not giving up on him yet. Is was my overall point. Just because I've seen so much negativity about his play. I do think Kukin's playing better. I think Kukin uh, is a better fit for the third pairing. Um, but right now we need to figure out something. I do think Carlson's a better option than Clint Denning, I'll say that. And I don't, I mean, I, I understand Clint Denning has the NHL experience. I don't think he, I think there's a reason why he isn't stuck on a team. And I think there's a reason why, you know, he was signed basically as an AHL guy by the Jackets. He wasn't really supposed to be in the NHL. Until we had this injury with Seth Jones, and even then it was supposed to be Carlson, right, instead of Clendenning. So I, I still think Carlson's a better option, but we'll okay, see what happens.
0: So we'll wrap this up. So I'll pick my final positive, being that Jared Bull's buyout is no longer on the books. <laughs> uh, but uh, just so this doesn't uh, keep going and going, we kind of we'll say that the final positive was our defensive depth because we just spent several minutes talking about it. So that's the final positive. And and. Corpusalo looked great against the Red Wings. Corpusalo did look very good. Yeah, that's gonna be that can be a, a quick positive. I wonder. So I wonder with Corpusalo, is I? He's the kind of guy who I think needs regular time to feel I think so comfortable. Too. I think so too. I think so. And uh, I think they're gonna do try to do more of like a 40 split this year. Yeah, because um, they need to know what they have in him because there's a very real chance Pabraski's gone after this season.
1: There are a lot of goalies that have moments where they can shine. Um, as a backup, and really have big games as a backup, and come in cold and be like Curtis McIlhenny. Like exactly, <laughs> Curtis <laughs> no, McIlhenny is, so a, is a prime <laughs> example in the sense. But when he's when he's put in consistently, it's a mental thing. It's when he's put in consistently as a starter, he does not perform. I think Corpasalo is the opposite. I think Corpasalo has been fine as a backup, but for the most part. I think with consistency, you could be a better goalie. Yeah. Uh, it's like, that's it's the, like a closer the, in baseball. Yeah. Right? So that's it's the, the difference between being a starter. That and can be the last positive. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Corpasol looked good. I think Bobrovsky looked good. I think you're going to look at the score and maybe think he didn't, but I actually think he looked solid and he was completely exposed at points yesterday. So I think yeah. he looked good given a shaky preseason. So anyways, we managed to go an entire podcast without talking about really talking about the Bobrovsky and Panarin situations. Cause guess what? I don't want to. Until there's a development, I don't want to talk about it's it. It's been talked about by everybody yeah. a million so, times. And there's no new news, guys. No uh-huh. new news. Just- All right. Well, we there was a point where I thought this podcast was only going to go 30 minutes. And then we really loved talking about the defense. So yeah. here we are. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Uh, we're going to try to be- start doing this more consistently. And uh, we're really excited for this season. I really think the Blue Jackets can be one of the best teams in the league this year. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I don't trade Panarin. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, don't just, want... <laughs> just keep him. Let's, let's say that for another, I just, another day. I want to win a playoff and, series.
1: And uh, follow us on Twitter. Shout out to Heart Attack Man for the music. Uh, they, they provide our music. They're an awesome band. Eric Egan, awesome guy. They're playing some shows in Cleveland and Columbus. So check them out yes uh
0: it is it's really enjoyable yeah, music and a uh, good person and uh they don't even make us pay so yeah and actually every time we have this podcast we pay them because <laughs> we play it on you spotify make, yes so yes. they make 0.00007 cents 000007 you are welcome eric all right well it's been an honor it's been a pleasure and i just want to say go jackets go jackets